1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were (coughs) influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Thank you very much. We will go on to the second half of the chapter, but I'll read the relevant um, verses when we come to them. The question we're thinking about this evening is this. Are you a spiritual person? Are you a spiritual person? I wonder whether you would say that you're spiritual. Sometimes people say, I'm not very religious, but I am quite spiritual. I guess what they mean by that is that they're not committed to a church, but they like to think that they're still in touch with God in some way. It seems like the Christians in Corinth thought of themselves as very spiritual. We might be tempted to think that the really spiritual people are those who get swept up in an experience of God, who maybe can't even express or understand what they feel, but they just know that they're filled with ecstasy and closeness and love. Then you just envy people like that. But the Apostle Paul doesn't want us to get carried away. In these next three chapters of the letter to the Corinthians, He wants to help us understand what it means to be truly spiritual. And he starts, actually, I think, with a little put-down towards those who think of themselves as oh-so-spiritual. I've put a more literal translation on your sheet of um, verse 1. He says, Now about spiritual things, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now, the, um, the Christians in Corinth thought of themselves as very knowledgeable and very spiritual Uh, and Paul is just very gently saying actually I think you're pretty unspiritual and I think you're pretty ignorant (laughs) he does it very politely the Christians in Corinth uh, are actually ignorant and unspiritual his big point at the first in this first half of the chapter is this every Christian has the spirit every Christian has the spirit. The Corinthians might have thought they were very um, spiritual in their ecstatic experiences of God. They might have thought their spiritual experiences in fact were self-validating. Of course they were spiritual experiences because they were so extraordinary. 
but actually sometimes they're not so very different from their old pagan worship verse 2 says you know that when you were pagans somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols no the true mark of having a, the holy spirit is to be able to say jesus christ is lord verse 3 therefore i want you to know that no one who is speaking by the spirit of god says jesus be cursed and no one can say jesus is lord except by the holy spirit Now Jesus himself said that lip service isn't enough. Do you remember he said in the Sermon on the Mount, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. A profession of faith needs to be credible. It needs to be backed up by actions. But it's by the Holy Spirit that we acknowledge Jesus' rule over our lives. If we've done that, we know that we have the Spirit. It's what Peter says at Pentecost. Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing as a true Christian who doesn't have the Spirit. Sometimes we talk about different categories, maybe atheists, followers of other religions, Christians, and then those who are truly spiritual, those who are born again. But the Bible doesn't recognise those different ranks. We either have Jesus as Lord, we have the Spirit, or we don't. We're either Christians or we're not. So actually, before we go any further, it's worth just asking the question which is true for you is jesus christ your lord or not do you have the holy spirit or not are you truly spiritual this morning we had um, baptisms of jack and eva if you've been baptized are you living as a truly spiritual person with Jesus in charge of your life. If you're not a Christian, is it something that you've considered? What would it take to persuade you that Jesus Christ is Lord? I'd love you to speak to me afterwards if you want to explore those questions further. In the verses that follow, we get into the particular issue that's caused so much confusion, the question of spiritual gifts. It seems like some of the Christians in Corinth think that they're better than others because they have particularly impressive gifts and abilities. And maybe others are feeling inadequate because they don't share those gifts. And so Paul emphasises that we're all different. In verses 4, 5 and 6 he says that there are different kinds of gifts, different ways to serve, different sorts of work, but all those different things come from the same God. These verses actually, by the way, are probably um, the very first reference to the Trinity in the New Testament. Did you notice he refers to the same Spirit, the same Lord Jesus, the same God the Father. There's one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And he gives us all a different contribution to make. But they are all for the common good. Do you see there in verse 7? He says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given 
for the common good. So there's one God, here's a little diagram if that helps, one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, many different spiritual gifts, but all for the common good. He gives a little list in um, the next few verses of some of the different kinds of spiritual gifts. We don't have time to look at each of them individually today. There are other lists in, one, in Romans 12, in Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. But then in verse 11, he says the same thing again. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, I don't think we're very good at holding together the ideas of unity and diversity. We tend to think that unity has to mean uniformity, everyone being exactly the same. Um, we saw that a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at men and women. We tend to think that being equal has to mean being the same. But unity doesn't mean uniformity. And our attempts at diversity often lead to division. One of the biggest big trends in our culture is for equality, diversity and inclusion. And it comes with great motives, um, but we can find we overemphasize our differences and we end up in division, in conflict with one another. How can we be both united and diverse at the same time? Well, in the rest of the chapter, the part we didn't read, Paul uses the image of a human body to say that we all belong to one another. We're a unit if we're Christian people. And we each have different parts to play. And just like with a human body, that's a good thing, a beautiful thing, a healthy thing. Because every Christian has the spirit, there are two things we mustn't say. Two things we mustn't say. The first is, you don't need me. Look down at verses 15 uh, to 17. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Now I think Paul wants us to laugh at this. It's supposed to be ridiculous. Of course the whole body can't be made up of one part. Imagine if that was literally the case. Sometimes when someone says, listen to me, we might say, I'm all ears. But imagine if that was literally the case. It would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Or if we were just made up of an eye. It's actually quite ugly, isn't it? No, it's meant to be ludicrous what he's saying here. But, verse 18, he says, But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they're all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Now, actually, you've brought your own visual aid um, to church this evening. Everyone's brought their body with them. Um, just think for a minute about the different parts of the body that are involved in something as simple as eating a meal. Okay, first of all, your belly tells you that it's hungry. 
and then your legs take you to the shops or to a takeaway maybe or your fingers do the shopping on your phone then you might need your arms to carry the food and your brain to work out how to cook it or warm it up and then the eating itself is quite complex your lips and your teeth and your tongue your swallow mechanism and then your belly your intestines digesting the food and then uh, we don't need to talk about how the waste is dealt with it's just as well we're not all hands or all teeth or all stomachs we quickly get very hungry wouldn't we and it's just the same with the church it's a great thing that we're all different that we all have different gifts different areas of service we mustn't think you don't need me because we contribute something different to others in church in fact that's all the more reason why we do need you because there's no one else quite like you it's one of the joys of a church like St Anne's where there are so many different types of people it would be easy for some people to think you don't need me because there are lots of people who are maybe better educated than them or who have more obvious gifts in some other way or who are younger and fitter and more active or just have more time available or whatever it is but we need to stop looking at what we can't do as well as other people and start thinking about what we can do don't let a kind of spiritual inferiority stop you from serving in whatever way you can sometimes it's a kind of false humility that stops someone exercising their gifts in church life oh you don't need little old me getting in the way yes we do if you're a Christian person that's why God has given you the Holy Spirit and made you part of the body of believers if you're being asked to serve the body in some way it's probably because you're the best person to do it or at least because no one else is able or willing so can your default be yes I'll do what I can if I can sometimes you don't need me is because we think we're above the body I met someone not that long ago who devotes themselves to prayer and contemplation amazing but probe a little bit deeper and you find that they aren't actually involved with the church they're like a hand that's been cut off from the rest of the body no to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given why for the common good come and pray with and for a particular church family we love to compare ourselves with others but we're not all the same there are people in this church who do all sorts of things much better than I would ever be able to do them think of the outreach team think about those who organize our hospitality of those who simply pray more often and more deeply than I do there are such a huge variety of gifts in any church we need them all and the same is true the other way around we mustn't say you don't need me and the other thing we mustn't say is I don't need you and this is what Paul comes on to in verse 21 the eye cannot say to the hand I don't need you and the head cannot say to the feet I don't need you on the contrary those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable 
and the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour. Think again about the human body. I don't need to spell out which parts of the body we might think are embarrassing, but they're the parts that are modestly wrapped up out of public view. Paul says they're the parts that we actually treat with greater honour. And again, it's just the same in church, isn't it? A church should be a place where those people who society looks down on, who people might think have nothing to contribute, might even laugh at, are actually treated with special care and attention. Do you know, it fills me with joy to see the eagerness that some of our able-bodied men show when they rush out on a Sunday morning to help carry Rona or Jack up the steps in a wheelchair. They're treated with greater honour, aren't they? No one else gets to be carried into church by a bunch of strapping young men. Or those who sit down at the back or outside on the wall to listen to someone who's struggling with an addiction or, or who's just down on their luck. How ugly would it be to think that there are certain types of people that we just don't need in church? In fact, Paul says that the parts of the body should have equal concern for each other. Verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. It's the old arithmetic, isn't it? A problem shared is a problem halved. A joy shared is a joy doubled. Now we can't do that unless we're established in a local fellowship with people who know us well and who we know well. And that's best done not just by being in church on a Sunday but by being part of a small group during the week as well. Now look, there's lots more in this chapter that I haven't had a chance to cover. Maybe we can discuss some of it in a, in a few minutes. There's plenty to go away and read in your own time and digest and think over and so on. Um, we're going to be hearing more on this subject over the next couple of weeks. Um, so I hope you can come back and hear the rest of the series. But let's come back to where we started and that question, are you spiritual? I hope we've seen that to be genuinely spiritual means being able to say that Jesus is Lord and that when we bow the knee to Jesus the Holy Spirit gives us particular ways that we each individually being different people with different capacities different gifts we can each serve the body of the church so what can you contribute being the person that God has made you don't worry about comparing yourself with others. No one's expecting you to be just like everyone else. There are lots of things each of us can't do. But the question is, what can you do? We had an experienced pastor called Ray Evans here on Thursday sharing his wisdom. And one of his little sayings is this, everyone doing something, no one doing too much. It's quite helpful, isn't it? Everyone doing something, no one doing too much. What can you do? Maybe the best place to start is just in small ways. Listen out for appeals for help in church. Be quick to offer. Look for little jobs that need doing. None of them are beneath any of us. And over time, 
as we serve one another. Maybe others will start to spot your particular gifts and ask you to serve in more specific ways. And so we work out together what it means to be a spiritual person as part of the body of the church. I just want to finish um, by quoting another experienced pastor who wrote about these chapters in um, 1 Corinthians. He said this, To be truly spiritual drives a person neither to ecstasy, nor to individualism, nor to otherworldliness, but into the life of the local church as an expression of their commitment to Jesus as Lord and to his body here on earth. It is there that the implications of what it is to be spiritual, men and women of the Spirit, will be worked out. And I've underlined it and written yes, exclamation mark, in the margin, because I thought it was very helpful. So let me pray for us. We're going to sing again, and then we'll have a chance to discuss um, some of that teaching, ask questions and so on before we um, pray together. So let's pray now. Our Father God, we thank you that you have made us, as Christian people, part of the body of Christ. We pray, dear Lord God, that you would keep us from thinking that we're not needed or that we don't need others. Please knit us together, we pray, and show us what each one of us can contribute to the life of the body of Christ. In Jesus' name.